Before we get into our study, um, just a, a couple announcements from, from me. This, this past week, um, the deacon's wives treated our staff to um, a luncheon for, for Pastor's Appreciation Month. I think that was October. And that included gift baskets from many, that, things in there from many of you. And so just on behalf of, of our staff, I just want to thank you guys for those of you that participated in that. Thank you for those of you that pray for us, um, truly. That, it's, a, it's our honor and privilege to, to do what we do, and, and we do it to a great group of people. So, so thank you um, for that. Um, the other thing I wanted to note, we've been announcing for a while, we didn't announce it this week intentionally, is, is Wedstrong, but we're just over a month away uh, from Wedstrong. So just from me, I want to say, if you've not signed up and you're on the, you know, you're on the brink and considering it, um, you should do it. It would be a great group from First Baptist. There'll be many other churches, people from many other churches there. And so that's in Nashville there in December 8th through the 10th. So if you're thinking about that, you should do it. Um, I, I have the privilege of being one of the speakers this year. And then um, even better than that, Miss Sherry Trotter will be speaking to the ladies uh, in the breakout session. So, so you'll want to you'll go to that. And then, and then the only other thing... Um, I was going to say is Bill and Faye Lover's 66th wedding anniversary was this past week. So congratulations to, to Bill and Faye. Now, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 16. Uh, Genesis 16, we're moving on in our family portrait series looking uh, at a new family this morning. So, so far we've looked at Adam and Eve. We saw God's perfect design for marriage there out of Genesis chapter 2. Then we looked at both sides of the coin of Noah's life. He taught us some parenting tips in perilous times uh, there in Genesis chapter 6. And we compared you know, those days of Noah to certainly the days of the tribulation, but even these last days of the church age. And, and some parenting tips, the, the, the pictures that we see from him that resulted in the deliverance um, of his children. There was some, some good learning there for us. But then last week he also taught us the path of apathy and sliding away from the work of the Lord out of Genesis chapter 9 and the devastating ramifications that had on his family. And, and there's some devastating ramifications that, that we can bring to our families when we slide away from the work on the Lord and get on that path of apathy. So we had a good and a bad example from Noah. But today, we're going to study Abraham. And, and from the life of Abraham, we're going to learn how to deal with family dysfunction. That's the title of our message this morning, Dealing with Family Dysfunction. This is actually a two-part sermon out of Genesis 16. So we'll get started in Genesis 16 this morning. We'll be in Genesis 16 uh, next week as well. And today... We are going to see the primary sources of dysfunction within, within a family. What causes the problems that we face in the home, right? We have many challenges, we know this, in marriages and in homes. And we're going to see some of the, the key and primary sources of that. And then next Sunday, we'll come back and, and see the solutions, how we deal with it, how we solve the problem. So we'll see the sources of dysfunction today. We'll see the solutions of dysfunction uh, next week. So you need to come back and get the rest of the story. But the life of Abraham is a very interesting Bible study. Uh, he's one of the primary characters there in the, in the book of Genesis, the first patriarch. When we move into Genesis chapter 12, we see a, a very significant transition in the book of Genesis because of Abraham and through the life of Abraham. And 
from Genesis 12 on through the end of the book, through chapter 50, it's driven by the patriarchs, right? You go from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, and, and we see the, the book written around these primary four men. Um, and that kicks off with, with Abraham. He's the first major patriarch. And, and you find the story of, of his life beginning at the very end of chapter 11 and then going all the way through chapter 25. So, so just to frame that in the context of, of other people and other events to see you know, the, the significance of this man, I, I want you to just consider the amount of real estate given to Abraham in the Bible. With respect to God's entire creation, the cosmos, the earth, all of life, man, creatures, plants, that gets a little over one chapter. The first man ever created, Adam, his story gets just over three chapters. Begins at the end of chapter 1 and he dies in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5. Most of chapter 4 is just dealing with his kids, but we'll, we'll give it to him anyway. But when it comes to Abraham, over 13 chapters of the first book of the Bible are dedicated to him and his story. Similar to, to Joseph, actually, at the end. So the patriarchs are kind of framed by they're all of, of equal significance, but they're framed by Abraham and Joseph that, that get the bulk of the attention. Um, we'll see Joseph later on in this series. And, and, and we're not going to go into all of the reasons why that is the case. Again, this isn't a study of the book of, of Genesis. But suffice it to say that Abraham, or Abram, as he is referred to until Genesis chapter 17, has a very important role in God's plan. You know, not the least of which is you know, he's, he's the line through which the Messiah was going to come. It's kind of a big deal there. And because of that, Abraham is attacked on many fronts. We've already talked in this series about how Satan's plan to attack centered around the seed line, both from a physical perspective and, and a spiritual perspective that we see today. But he attacked the seed line because of the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. And so Abraham is, is certainly no exception. Abraham faces attack throughout his life. But Abraham was called out by God and there in Genesis chapter 12. And he's told a new plan, including a new nation, was going to be started through him. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, we see, we see this, this calling out. And verse 1 says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And, and God calls Abraham out. He obeys that calling, and that started Abraham on his path of faith for God to work this new plan through him. And, and this call came when Abraham was, was 75 years old. We see that in the very next verse in, in Genesis 12, 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran. And, so, and this is going to play some significance into the, where we get to in Genesis chapter 16. But at this point in history, we're a little over 400 years removed from the flood of Noah's day. And after the flood, things changed, right? The atmosphere changed, their diet changed, and life expectancy started to decline dramatically from the, you know, the 900s that we saw uh, before the flood. In fact, Abraham died at a 175 years old. We know that from Genesis 25 
and verse 7. So in Genesis 12, at, at 75, Abraham is sort of moving into middle age, and, and God's plan involved Abraham having a son, right? It, it was the, the seed line that was important. There's no nation without people. So he had to have a son to start this process. And as time moves on, Abraham begins to wonder how and, and when this is all going to work out. You know, he's not getting any younger, and, and neither is his wife, Sarah. And a baby is still nowhere in sight. And so there comes a time that he begins to question the Lord. We see that in Genesis chapter 15. Verses 2 through 4 says, And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. You see, Abraham is, is beginning to get a little confused. He has a promise from God that his seed is going to be as the dust of the earth, as the stars in the sky, as the sand in the seashore, innumerable. But it's not happening. And Abraham said, the only heir that I, I have is my servant. But God assured him that that wasn't the heir. That the heir was going to be his very own son. So the promise in Genesis 15 is still on the table. And God even doubles down on what he's going to do through Abraham. But in Abraham's human calculations, time wasn't on their side. And that brings us to our text this morning in Genesis chapter 16. And in Genesis 16, we're going to see an unfortunate decision that Abraham made that not only caused major dysfunction in his own family, it caused major dysfunction in the world that still exists today some 4,000 years later. The turmoil in the Middle East between Israel and the Arab nations goes back to Genesis chapter 16. So let me just say, some mistakes have greater consequences than others. This was a big one. And it, and it occurred because he, he took the things that, that God was saying and he just couldn't process them in his mind. He had the promise of God, but he couldn't process what he was seeing with his eyes. And so he took things into his own hands. But listen, the application of human solutions to issues that need divine intervention always leads to bigger problems. When we try to apply human solutions to things that need divine intervention, and we're always going to end up in a worse spot. And sometimes we think we're smart enough or talented enough to solve our own problems. No, you just make things worse. I just make things worse. That's our primary lesson this morning. Wait on the Lord, trust in his provision and his promises, even if and when you can't see them. He has never failed. Joshua 21.45 says, There failed not out of any good thing which the Lord has spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. 1 Kings 8.56, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. And that's the God we still serve today. And that was true with his promises to Israel and their promises that we have today. 
and he's never failed on one of them. But even good men like Abraham get in the way sometimes. And when we get in the way, it causes dysfunction in the family and in the home. So let's look at what happened and how Abraham and Sarah took things into their own hands. Because through their mistakes, we're going to learn the primary sources of dysfunction within the home. And it's good to learn them so that hopefully we don't repeat them. So Genesis 16, we're going to study verses 1 through 6 this morning. It says, now Sarah, I'm going to, I'm going to call her Sarah, the English pronunciation of Sarah. So I'm going, to, I'm going to call her Sarah. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from, from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning and, and we just um, ask you to, to use this passage to teach us all that it is that we need to see this morning. and That this family portrait of Abraham and Sarah and the, the dysfunction that was caused in their family Lord, comes to life in, in, in our eyes and, and in our life so that we don't do and, and make the same mistakes that they made. Lord, you, you've told us that all of the Old Testament is for our learning. And, and so, Lord, I, I pray that, that you teach us this morning. I, I, I pray that you move me out of the way, that, that your Holy Spirit speaks clearly. And I pray that everything that is said is true to your word, that it's honor and glorifying to you. Lord, and then again, that you use it in the life of our families of this church and our church as a whole. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I think based on, you know, on what we just read, it's pretty easy to see, you know, with hindsight here, some shortcomings in, in Sarah and Abraham's plan, right? Not, maybe not the best idea. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I just want to be like, you know, bro. I mean, come, come on, man. Like, did you really think this was going to work out? Like, you're going to go through with this, and everyone's just going to live happily ever after. And this, is, this, is, this is just going to be easy. I, I, I think you should have saw some problems on the horizon here. But men are prone to make some dumb mistakes at times and seem to be unable to think clearly in certain situations, and this was one of them. And Abraham and Sarah made a big, big mistake. And dysfunction ensued. But what I want you to see this morning, what we've been doing with this whole series, is I want you to see the picture. Because the dysfunction we see in Abraham's home was caused by many of the same problems that arise in our homes. Now maybe we don't make the same specific mistake Abraham did, as I certainly hope not. But the source of the problem, they are the same. See, it goes much deeper than what we see on the surface. So I want you to know that Abraham's family portrait is found on the walls of many Christian homes today. Because their predicament was caused and then exacerbated by four primary sources of family dysfunction that are still prevalent today. So we're going to look at those sources, hopefully learn from them, and then like I told you, we'll come back next week 
and we'll find the solution. You need to see that. It completes the picture. But here's where many of our problems start. This is the first source of dysfunction in the family. And that is faithless restlessness. Faithless restlessness. Now, another way of saying that is growing impatient with the Lord and not trusting him while waiting. You know, but my points must alliterate. So we get faithless restlessness. But that is exactly what we see with, you know, our our star couple this morning. They had a promise from God, but that wasn't enough. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Okay, so I already told you that when, when, when God calls out Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, he's 75 years old, right? So by the time we get to Genesis chapter 16, we've moved 10 years down the road. So Abraham's now 85 years old. Sarah is 75. So again, that's not exactly equivalent to today's ages, but they weren't spring chickens either. And while God had promised them a child, he didn't tell them when. So it was a period of waiting and trusting for them. And the truth is, most people don't like to wait or trust in the Lord. They don't like to trust in anyone but themselves. So Abraham and Sarah didn't. And they took things into their own hands and decided not to wait on the Lord anymore. And listen, that's always a bad decision. There's always a bad decision, and we know that intellectually. But how many of us make the same decision in our life and in our family? And as a result, bring dysfunction into our marriage and into our homes. So let me just give you very one quick practical, practical, practical example. How many of you have at one time or another spent money that you didn't have just because you wanted something that you didn't really need when you should have waited for the Lord to provide? But you didn't. And the result was stress and problems, dysfunction in your marriage and in your home. This is one very easy example. There are so many others out there because we struggle with patience, don't we? We get restless. And here's why. Here's why we get restless. It's because we lack faith and we're full of the flesh. It's just that simple. It's the bottom line. We lack faith and we just get full of the flesh and let that old man drive our decisions. And I say that because that is the picture Sarah said in verse 2, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. So she knew that God was the one in control. The same God that had promised them a son more than once. So she's faced with this contradiction of faith. On one side, she, she has what God said, what God had promised. And on the other side, she had her feelings and what she could see, which was a belly that wasn't growing. But faith doesn't respond to what we see. 
Faith responds to what God says. That is how we are supposed to move forward in our life through faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not sight. So if faith says, God has restrained my womb or closed it, then he can open it. God can keep his promises, and we can trust him for that. But it's been 10 years. What's 10 years to God? But, but this is about me, right? It's about me having a baby. And 10 years is a lot to me. It's a long time to wait. But that's the problem, isn't it? We get restless with any number of areas in our marriage or our home life, and it's because we lack faith and get full of the flesh. Listen, I'm sorry, but it's not about you. And when you make it about you, you bring dysfunction into your family and into your home. I told you in the first message of this series, when you get married, you aren't you anymore. You are now us. But our selfishness doesn't allow us to accept that. And it gets our focus off. And so we don't see straight. And we, we're just looking through the eyes of the flesh. And it causes us to then lose our contentment. Because selfishness always gets us to focus on what we don't have instead of what we do have. Selfishness gets us to focus on what we don't have. Not on everything that we do have. You see, instead of practicing contentment, Sarah focused on the one area of her life where she felt she was lacking. And listen, other areas of her life were going quite well. Genesis 13.2 says, And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. You see, God had blessed them in many, many ways, but she couldn't see past the one thing she didn't have. And, and we are at risk for that as well. But we must fight against that temptation. And, and by the way, does this sound familiar at all? Does it remind you, does this remind you of anyone else? You know, how about Eve? God told Adam and Eve, everything is yours except this one tree. There's only one thing you can't have. And that's what she wanted. The one thing she couldn't have. And there's just a picture there that you need to see. Because this is how Satan attacks us. He, he, he tries to get us to see what we don't have instead of what we do have. It drives discontentment in us, and it causes us to not trust the Lord and not wait on the Lord. So don't fall for it. Don't get restless and impatient. Just do your part and stay true to what God's Word says. And trust in that. Place your faith in that. That's what God wanted Abraham and Sarah to do. Because even in times of doubt, even when you don't understand, and it doesn't make sense to you, the, cor the correct response is never to take things into your own hands. The correct response is to call out to the Lord. Listen, Sarah should have taken her disappointment to the Lord instead of taking a stupid idea to her husband. 
Because fellowship with the Lord can solve the problem. He could have helped her see that his timing is always perfect. That is so true for us as well. We see that pattern throughout Scripture. We see it in Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And I've shown you this before, but when you cross-reference Romans 5.4 with Romans 15.4, you learn that experience is defined as comfort of the Scriptures. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. You see, it's the same pattern. Patience, experience, hope. Patience, comfort of the scriptures, and hope. So when you show patience in your trials, in your struggles, in those times that you don't understand what God is doing, but instead of taking things into your own hands, you go to the Lord and you spend time in his word, there is a promise of comfort there. And comfort leads to hope. And even if things aren't happening when and how you want them to happen, God gives you the answer in those times to wait on him. Because in those moments, let's put yourself in Sarah's shoes. In those moments, your view, your thought should be, I wonder what God says about his own timing and and his own promises. And guess what? You and I can know that answer. And when you look it up, what God says about his own timing and and, and his own promises. You'll find verses like Psalm 27, 14 that says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then you'll you'll work your way down to Psalm 62, verses five through eight that says, my soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. I'm not gonna set my own expectations for when and how this should work. I'm just going to let my expectations be on him. Because why? Because he only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times. When? All times. Ye people, pour out your heart before before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. And then you keep studying and you keep looking up and you keep working through the Psalms and you find yourself in Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, as I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. And then you work your way over to Isaiah. And in chapter 30, verse 18, says, And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait on him. The Lord is a God of judgment. He knows how to judge things. We don't. We need to just wait on him. And then you find Isaiah 40, verse 31, that says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And and brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you're in a time of waiting and and, and needing to hear from the Lord, verses like that and so many others that I could have read should give you comfort and then lead you to hope. And I'm fully aware that the written word of God wasn't available when Sarah was dealing with her restlessness. 
But, but if she would have sought out the Lord in faith, he could have told her even verbally what he tells all of us. In Psalm 113, verse 9, it says, He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, what comfort that would have been. But she didn't do that. And she didn't seek him out. She thought she could take care of this situation on her own. And she just made a complete mess of all of it. And listen, this happens with, with both good and bad desires. There are things that we desire that just quite honestly are not of the Lord. And in our flesh, and we just rush out and get them. But this can be true of good desires as well. Sarah only wanted what God had already promised her. That's it. And that's a good thing. She should want that. She just couldn't wait on his timing. And some very well-intentioned Christians even do this today. And maybe it's even a great thing, like a desire to lead someone to the Lord or take the next step in ministry. But we take things into our own hands and, and, and maybe we lead someone in a prayer that they don't understand. Or we manipulate our way into a ministry position. Listen, those things always end poorly as well. And that's the picture here with Sarah. Wait on the Lord and understand God has a purpose behind it. Because Sarah wasn't able to wait because she didn't understand that. She didn't understand that God had a reason. God had a purpose for the delay, as he always does. We mess that up too. So, so just think about this for a second. Why do you think God was waiting? Does he just have a cruel sense of humor? Does he just like to see his children squirm? No. God is a purposeful God. And he has purpose behind what he does. And that purpose is always going to involve his glory. But Abraham and Sarah were too selfish to think on those terms. And, and listen, we usually are too. But Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12 tell us, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive and delivered a child. Look at this next phrase. When she was past age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Like she gets this right after Genesis 16. But he wanted her to have a child when she was past age. Verse 12, Therefore sprang there even of one, of, of him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which, by the sea, by the, which is by the seashore innumerable. See, he was waiting until Sarah was past age. He was waiting until Abraham was good as dead. Why? So he could get glory. So everyone knew it was from him. Which is why one of the reasons we have the Holy Spirit working in us and in our dispensation, in this dispensation of the, of the church age, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're just broken down vessels. So any power that emanates from us surely isn't us. It can't be from us. And God wants his glory known. God wants his glory to shine from us for the world to see. And listen, that was what Isaac was to be about, right? So Isaac was the son that they eventually had. And that's what the heir, that's what this seed was to be about because this picture just has layers and it just keeps getting deeper. You see, Isaac needed to have a supernatural birth. 
Sarah needed to be past age. Abraham needed to be as good as dead. Isaac needed to have a supernatural birth because Isaac was set to be one of the major types of Christ in the Bible. And we see that on full display in in Genesis 22. But that picture starts with their births. They needed to be miraculous. You see, God always has a reason and reasons for what he does. But we can't always see them. Because we're so fleshly and we just can't see beyond ourselves. We think, well, man, something must be wrong. God's obviously dropping the ball on this one. Oh, that's never the case. Trust the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Allow him to use you as a picture of his glory to the world. So don't get caught up in faithless restlessness and mess up what God's trying to do. It's the first primary source of dysfunction in families that we see here in Genesis 16. But then the second source of dysfunction is is fatal relationships. Fatal relationships. Because Abraham and Sarah had someone in their life that they shouldn't have. And that was Hagar. And it wasn't that it was wrong for Sarah to have a handmaid. That was obviously common practice in that day. But there's a key descriptor of Hagar in verse 1 that gives us insight into why this relationship was fatal. Genesis 16.1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, comma, an Egyptian, comma, whose name was Hagar. You see, God very intentionally tells us that Hagar is an Egyptian. And and we won't take the time to go through this because we did it last week or a couple weeks ago, but Egypt in the Bible is a picture of what? The world. So in Abraham and Sarah's family portrait, they let the world in their home through a very important relationship. And this goes back actually to a bad decision that Abraham made in Genesis chapter 12. The, The beginning of that chapter is when he's called out and called to go into the land. He's called to go into Canaan. And he obeyed that, but But not long after passing that first test of faith, he's faced with a second test of faith, and there's a famine in the land. But instead of trusting the Lord in that situation, look at what he does in Genesis 12.10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And I just want you to notice the language used. Abram went down into Egypt, because a trip to Egypt, this world, is always down. And if you're not careful, it can take you down. And just to give you, you know, just an interesting tidbit about the Bible and, and the, just the, the perfectness of everything it is and the wording, whenever the Bible talks about going to Jerusalem, it was always up. Now listen, there are some geographical reasons why it was up to Jerusalem and down to Egypt, but, but it's way more than just that. Not one time does the Bible say that someone went down to Jerusalem. They always went up. So there are a couple places that it says they came down from Jerusalem, but not to Jerusalem. But the opposite's true of Egypt. If you see up in the same sentence as Egypt, it was up from or up out of Egypt. So just don't miss what God is saying through the perfect wording of his Bible. A trip to Egypt is always down. Because like I told you last week, the world hates you. 
if you are a Christian and desperately wants to take you down. So it most likely would have been this trip in Egypt where Abraham and Sarah picked up Hagar. It's the only time we know of, at least, that Abraham went to Egypt to get, uh, to get Hagar. And this relationship that began in Egypt, a picture of the world, turns out to be fatal. Not in the sense that it killed God's plan, because nothing can do that. But it killed the harmony in their home. And it will in ours too. A relationship with this world is fatal to a God-honoring home. Because let me say it for the 116th time over these past two weeks. This world hates you. And that's exactly the picture we see with Hagar. Because after she gets pregnant with Abraham's baby, what happens? Genesis 16, 4. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. She despised Sarah now. Well, duh. I think we all could have seen that coming. But it goes deeper than the physical. You've got to see the picture. The world despises us and what we want to do for the Lord. So what the world does is try to counterfeit what God is trying to do in our life. So Ishmael, we'll see that's Hagar's baby next week, was a counterfeit baby, so to speak. It was supposed to replace God's plan. And the world tricks us, tries to trick us all the time. So the world will act like they want to do good and try to get us to do quote unquote good with them. And they'll even try to convince us that it's the Lord's work. But when you're helping people through worldly means in worldly ways and are not giving them the gospel, it's not real help. Now, I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. It might, it might even make us feel good. But it's not God's plan for our life. And if you think it is, you're mistaken. You've been fooled by this world that hates you. Listen. Why is it that churches can get people super excited for food giveaways and coat drives and school supply drives, but can only get a handful of people to share the gospel with someone? And, and please understand what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with food giveaways and coat drives and school supply drives. We've done some of that stuff around here. They're all fine. And if they open the door to the gospel, then great. But... Those things are not the Lord's work. They are not our mission. Hear me very clearly. In fact, most of the time they're counterfeits in, 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 a, in the context of churches. The world is trying to fool you because, listen, Ishmael is a picture of someone too. But it's not Christ. Ishmael is a picture of Christ's counterfeit. And do you know why the world does this and tries to fool you and confuse you? Because it hates you. I showed you this verse last week, but let me show it to you again. John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. This thing that we love so much hates us. So any relationship with the world will be fatal to the harmony in your home, and it will be a source of dysfunction. So be on the lookout. It is seductive. Don't be seduced. Don't have a baby with the world. Fatal relationships will cause dysfunction in your family. And then third, and this is maybe the, the primary source of dysfunction. These are all sources, but this next one is probably the primary source of dysfunction with the home, and that is flipped roles. Flipped roles. Because in this entire scenario, who's the one taking charge and leading, and who's the one following and submitting? Pay attention as I read verses 2 through 5. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. And I think it's pretty clear what's happening here. Sarah is the one talking, and Abraham's the one listening. And Sarah is leading, and Abraham is following. And that's flipped. And Abraham followed, even when what Sarah suggested was sinful. Abraham, it was non-trusting of the Lord. Abraham went along with it. He didn't stand up and say, no, listen, we're not going to do that. We're going to trust the Lord, and we're just going to wait on him. And I know it's hard, but we'll get through it together. We're not going to go out and do it on our own. And the truth is, this is the problem in most homes, even Christian homes today. Listen, it's not about who is capable of leading or not, who is smarter or not. It's not about any of that. It's about God's design. We went through that in week one. God set up the design and the roles of marriage with Adam and Eve. And they messed it up in the same way that Abraham and Sarah did. Or, or I probably should say that the other way around. Abraham and Sarah messed it up in the same way that Adam and Eve did. Because just look at the similarities. We already saw how Sarah and Eve wanted the one thing they couldn't have at least not in the moment, so they took things into their own hand. But then we also see in both cases, God always talked to the man. God gave his word to Adam and Abraham. It was their job to pass it on to their wives. And both times it was the wives who were deceived and were the driving force of the sin. And both resulted in great consequences that are still being felt in the world today. And the similarities go beyond that and even beyond this chapter, but, but I think you see the picture. The flipping of roles never leads to a good end. Even when it seems like a good idea. Even when the world is telling you, hey, that's a good idea. And it does that because it hates you, by the way. I'm not sure if I've said that yet. But it never works. And shame on the men. They were to be the leaders, but they didn't lead. And look at the mess that it caused. Remember the end of Genesis 16.2? It says, Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. We'll compare that to Genesis 3.17. 
And unto Adam he, God, said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And the word hearkened means to obey. And again, that's the role of a wife. Titus 2, verses 4 through 5 says, But that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And listen, I'm aware that that sounds weird or even misogynistic to some people. But do you know who's telling you that? The world. The world's telling you that that sounds misogynistic and that that sounds messed up. So let me repeat something I said last week. If the world says it's a bad thing, it's probably a good thing. If the world says it's a good thing, you can nearly count on it that it's a bad thing. So don't buy it. And, and listen, I, we have to be true to God's word. I will never apologize for the Bible and what it says. And neither should you. And it doesn't mean that there aren't men out there who abuse what the Bible says. There are, and shame on them. It's not God's intention, and that's also not God's fault. We talked about that in some detail in the message on God's perfect design for marriage. But the fact is, there are specific roles in marriage as defined by God. And when we flip them, dysfunction ensues. We saw it with Adam, we saw it with Abraham, and we see it in so many homes today. Men refusing to lead, and ladies who are all too willing to pick up the slack. It's a major source of dysfunction. And there's one more source in, of dysfunction in families and in homes, and that is flawed responses. Flawed responses, because here's what happens. When dysfunction enters and sin occurs, we have a choice. We have a choice to make it right and get it right. That's what we're actually going to be talking about next week and, and, and looking at how to do all that. Or we can enter the cycle of sin and respond incorrectly. And guess what happened here? All three people involved had a flawed response to this situation. And it just added to the dysfunction that was already present, this spin-slash-sin cycle. It began. And their flawed responses show us a picture of the three typical but wrong responses to sin in a home. This happens every day in Christian homes all over the world, in New Philadelphia, Ohio, or wherever it is that you may live. And we see it all in verse 6. And Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from the face. So the first response we see is from Abram, Abraham. And, and, and sadly, this is just the typical husband-father response. Just told his wife to deal with it. Just do whatever it is you want to do. So his flawed response was to forego. He forgoes any responsibility in the situation, which is just wrong. Again, he was the leader. Even after the mistake, he should have stepped up to lead, to take responsibility and make things right. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And there's a physical provision context to that verse, but there is also a spiritual provision context as well. 
And as husbands and fathers, we are to provide spiritual leadership to our family, in our home. And when we don't do that, we're worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. Because an infidel doesn't provide that to his house because he's an infidel. He doesn't have the ability to lead his house spiritually. But if you are saved, you do. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. So men, shame on you if you do not provide spiritually for your family. Don't forego that responsibility. And then the next response we see is from Sarah. She dealt hardly with Hagar. So the second flawed response to sin in the home is to fight. Sarah got mad. She took it out on her handmaid. And Hagar wasn't innocent. She despised Sarah. We're, I mean, you know, she's, we'll see more of her next week. I mean, Hagar's not, you know, not, not the best lady. She's an Egyptian. There's pictures there. There's pictures. That's not, that's not a comment other than the picture that it, she is. So she despised Sarah. But, you know, this was all Sarah's idea. And when the chickens came home to roost, she didn't like it. But instead of dealing with it biblically and graciously, she dealt hardly. She was abusive. And that's exactly the response we see in many homes and many marriages. When things go wrong, a fight breaks out. And instead of coming together to get things right, husbands and wives come together to throw blows, at least verbal ones, and, and obviously sometimes more. And this doesn't always just apply to women, surely, but, but Proverbs 19.13 says, A foolish son is a calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. The picture we have is from Sarah. In Proverbs 25.24, It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman and in a white house. And this fighting approach is just not honoring to the Lord. It does not provide solutions. It usually just makes things worse and opens the door for deeper wounds. Because once words go forth, they can't be taken back. And the Bible has a lot to say about our words and our tongue and the damage it can do. And just one quick example, 1 Peter 3.20, which, by the way, comes off the heels of a context of, of marriage in 1 Peter chapter 3. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So fighting, even verbally, is a flawed response to existing dysfunction. But there's one more response we see, and that's from Hagar. The Bible says she fled. So the third response is to flee. And sometimes we just want to get out there. And, and, and let me say here, if there is physical abuse occurring, which may have been the case with Sarah, but unlikely based on the context, then fleeing is the correct response. But otherwise, it's not. It's not dealing with the issue. Running away from your problems is never the right answer. That's what Jonah did, and look how God dealt with him. No, what Jesus says is come. If you're troubled, don't run, don't flee, come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So maybe you can't go to your spouse. Hopefully you can. But I know they don't always respond correctly. I know that firsthand because I don't. But you can always go to Jesus. Don't flee from him. Run to his arms. He is the solution to dysfunction and sin. But your enemy doesn't want you to do it. They want you to be faithless and restless. They want you to be impatient. They want you to develop a relationship with this world that will inevitably turn fatal. 
They want you to flip roles and flip God's plan upside down, and they want you to respond with flawed responses that are just fleshly schemes to situations that need divine intervention. That's where we started. And unfortunately, and this is the last thing on your outline sheet, fleshly schemes always short-circuit and postpone the blessing of God. So let me ask you, are you doing that in your home today? Are you short-circuiting the blessing that God wants to give you? If so, change. Get with the Lord and get right. And if you don't know how, come back next Sunday, and I'll give you the solution to these, these, this, this dysfunction in the family. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And again, as we're, as we're winding down and, and closing out here, we're going we're gonna to close out in one song like we always do. But, but I just want you to settle your heart, settle your mind, and, and just take this time to consider what God has shown you through his word this morning. And if there's anything in your life, if any of the, these dysfunction, this dysfunction that we went through and these sources of dysfunction is prevalent in your life, why not? Man, why don't you get with the Lord and change it? Why keep going through that? Why keep waiting to get right? Get right with the Lord today. And take this time to get with him and tell him, Lord, I'm sorry, to repent and get right with the Lord, to get right with your wife, to get right with your husband, whatever it might be. And so this world hates you and doesn't want you to do that. This world wants you to respond in these ways that we see, whether we just saw it in Genesis 16. Don't fall for it. And if you're here this morning and, and there's never been a time in your life that you gave your life to Jesus, that you placed your faith, gave your life by placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, if, if that's you and you've never done that, then can I, out of love, tell you that, that you're destined to eternity and hell separated from God? But God made a way. And all you got to do is believe in faith that, that he did what he said he did and that he died for your sins and he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. And if you believe that and in faith, let him know. He has promised to, to, save, to save you today. And if that's you, you can get that settled this morning as well. All you have to do is, is pray and ask him to save you, and, and he'll be faithful to do it. And if you have any questions about that, why don't you come up and talk to one of us during this song. There's nothing more that we would love to do than, than show you how to be saved this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the pictures that we see uh, in it, and, 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 and as we've been going through this series, the, the relevancy to even today, uh, a different time, a different dispensation, and yet, Lord, the pictures still show us what we need in our life and in our homes today. Thank you so much for that, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that your Holy Spirit will do the work to convict them of their sin even now, and that you'll draw them unto you this morning, and Lord, they will, of, a, of their own free will, choose to, to place their faith in your finished work on the cross. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.